Over the past several years, the phrase defund the police has swept our nation. Many cities, including our neighboring city of Austin, have significantly reduced funding for their police departments. And so I'm always going to have an uphill battle with anything that I try to do where we can't find consensus. One of the things that we're never going to find consensus on is how the city council, before I was elected, chose to reimagine public safety and defund the police department. And I got into a debate with somebody when we were trying to pass a ballot proposition to add additional police officers to the city. Um, he said it wasn't defunding. And I said, well, what is it called when you take money away from a department or something and you don't put it back? You're not refunding, you are defunding. Today on The Balanced Voice, Rania welcomes Austin City Council member Mackenzie Kelly. Kelly is an active public safety advocate and is doing all she can to combat the rise in crime Austin is currently experiencing. Without further ado, here's your host, Renya Mancarios. Welcome to the Balanced Voice podcast. We're thrilled to have today's guest visiting us from Austin. Council member Mackenzie Kelly, uh, District 6, is with us today. Good morning, council member. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me on today. Well, we're happy to have you. You're an Austin, an Austin native, a volunteer firefighter, a police advocate, and healthcare worker. You're a mom, and you have been hitting the ground running, representing the people of Austin. But really, you know, for our purposes, having really important conversations that were very much of interest to me and our audience um, at Crime Stoppers and on the Balanced Voice podcast. So, before we jump into all of the work that's been critical and messy and unfortunately uh, divisive and just so interesting and crazy. Talk to us a little bit about you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you so much for that wonderful introduction. It always, it, it's humbling when people describe some of the work that I've done in the community, because even sometimes I don't believe that I was able to accomplish as much as I have to be able to get where I am today. So I started out um, graduating from high school here locally. I worked um, in their Health Occupation Students of America program. I first went through their certified um, nursing aid program. And then my senior year, I went into an EMT program. And I learned that there was a fire department across the street from school that had a fire service explorer program. And so I got involved in that because I wanted to be able to utilize the skills that I learned in high school. And I didn't leave the fire department for eight years. So I was helping people in the community on the worst days of their lives. And that fire station directly affected the residents of the district that I now represent. And so I try to look at things now where my role is a little different. And then I get to help make people's lives better, even on the best day of their life, right? I get to make Austin a better place overall. And that really that core belief that I had that I could help people drove me to want to run for office. I saw the direction that our city was headed in 2020 with the defunding of the police movement. Our homeless situation here in Austin was out of control. And I had a really tough conversation with my family that I might not be able to stay here with my daughter if things continue the way they are. And so I stepped up and ran for office and it's been baptism by fire ever since. I was recently in Austin or, you know, not too long ago and overwhelmed by the homeless encampment. And it's a very interesting conversation in the sense that where do we balance people's liberties and and freedoms with what's best for the common, the common environment. So 
you want, if a homeless person wants to set up in a, a, a corner of a city block, who are we to say no? But at the same time, if it, what if it poses a risk for them or they're unwell and they're wandering to the streets or, um, you know, using public spaces as restrooms or other things. And it's a very, very complicated issue. And I know that Austin's, you, you all have gone through a lot to, to try to get a handle of it. Absolutely. And thank you for bringing that up because you really have to balance. Is it dangerous? Is there an immediate threat to life or safety by these individuals experiencing homelessness being here? And I'm really proud to say that when I first started on council after my inauguration on January 6th, other council members had a quorum and they were writing out a plan to address people specifically in situations where there was a hazard or risk involved. And so we called it the HEAL initiative, the Homeless Encampment Link Assistance. And because the city of Austin has chosen to move forward with the Housing First initiative, what we're doing is connecting people in those hazardous or life safety places to housing, be it temporary or whatever, where they can get a coordinated assessment and have their needs addressed in a way that's more holistic and help try and lift them out of that situation. So we're now in phase two of that project. And um, as many of you may know, a ballot proposition passed in Austin that banned um, homeless camping. That was long after we started this process to help people who were in life safety conditions get access to, to housing. So for our purposes, we really focus on public safety, and we've been doing that for 41 years, and never has public safety become, unfortunately, political. It certainly is now. It certainly has become that way over the last two or three years. Um, you know, we keep saying that 2020 was was ours, an organization, our hurricane, almost like our Hurricane Harvey year in the sense that, you know, we started the year talking about something called you know, bond reform, felony bond reform, and bond reform applied in felony cases when you're dealing with the most violent repeat offenders. Um, and then COVID hit and we were, COVID hit the U.S. in terms of our kids, March, never went back to school. And you had all these kids at home with their parents who were home and family violence was an issue and, and children were online who were not usually online. And we had to move our entire, our entire program into the digital space. And then George Floyd was killed and the defund police movement erupted. And uh, very important questions about law enforcement were asked of local municipalities and people cried out uh, and chaos and riots and so much erupted very, very real and raw conversations that happened as a result. And I think it was a, it was a, an important opportunity in America to pause and look and listen and, and do better. But at the same time, a lot of people said, you know, defund police. It's just, it's just sort of like a slogan that embodies a bigger picture of reforming police. And then there, there are other cities that were saying, no, no, we, we literally want to slash budgets. And I think in Austin, you guys looked at slashing about $150 million, but walk us through, this is where you, this is where you walked in, you know, you walked into this setting. How, how was it when you came, where are you now? Obviously crime has been an issue in the city of Austin, of course, in, in Harris County as well. And across the country, how are the dots connected? Well, I think it's important, and thank you for that background. It's important for individuals who might not understand how the city council in Austin works to know that we have 10 single member districts plus one mayor. So there are 11 people total on the council. I am but one of those people. And so I'm always going to have an uphill battle with anything that I try to do where we can't find consensus. 
one of the things that we're never going to find consensus on is how the city council, before I was elected, chose to reimagine public safety and defund the police department. And I got into a debate with somebody when we were trying to pass a ballot proposition to add additional police officers to the city. Um, He said it wasn't defunding. And I said, well, what is it called when you take money away from a department or something and you don't put it back? you're not refunding, you are defunding. That money is coming out of the situation. And you're correct. It was $150 million. On top of that, the former council decided to remove 150 vacant police officer positions. And so when you fast forward to today, we have over 200 vacancies plus the additional 150 that were taken out previously. And we're mandated under a house bill that Governor Abbott passed to put that money back into the police department. So if you want to look at how that happened, how it was pieced back together, prior to the House bill passing, our city council um, also took out the forensics department because that was civilian-led and 911 communications because those are also civilians. And so when they took those out, the governor forced us to put them back in, but we didn't gain any additional police officers at all during that time. We're losing officers at a obnoxious rate of attrition. We have 15 to 20 officers that are leaving each month due to morale issues. And I'll just tell you that that is awful. It is so hard to see these officers leave due to retirements, early retirements, or just flat out resignations. There was a billboard here in Austin recently advertising for Seattle for police to go there. It's, it's unbelievable. And I, hear both sides of the argument. We've had, we have a heart for every community and we think these conversations are so important. And we always say, you can't have a surgeon that's not fully up to par and ready to do their job. You can't have a pilot that isn't ready to do their job in the utmost professionalism. You can't have a police officer that shows up to work and is not ready to do their job in the utmost professionalism. But what we've done is we've swung the pendulum so far where we've painted all law enforcement with the same brush, made them no longer heroes, community heroes, but community enemies. And of course, you're going to have these men and women who put their lives on the line every day say, why am I doing this? You couple that with bond reform, that's basically saying arrest them short. But as soon as they get in front of the system, we're going to let them out because everybody's innocent until proven guilty. And it's a recipe for disaster. Um, where the solutions lie, it's multifaceted. But at the end of the day, it does rest on, on the shoulders of people like you who serve in local municipalities. I think you guys are actually the champions for these causes. And you're the ones that are going to put our cities back together. How do you balance that, though, when you represent, I think, the largest district in Austin and you you certainly have people in your district that are like, keep the we don't care what Governor Abbott says that 150, the 150 million needs to go to social services. And then you have people in your district that are certainly saying, you know, no, we need we need more police and you've got to fix the morale for law enforcement. How on earth do you guys balance this? Well, I'll start by saying that I I don't think that we're ever going to get anywhere or make progress in our community unless we look at alternative ways of doing things and improve on those processes. But what I will say to counter that is that you can't just throw the baby out with the bathwater. You can't cut funding to a department, even if they need or require additional training. 
we can't have patrol officers leave patrol to go into training if we don't have anybody to backfill those positions. And so where I think the biggest problem, at least from my analysis of the situation here in Austin is and lies, is that our council did this without paying attention to any repercussions that could occur. And they weren't looking far enough ahead. And as someone who sits in a a position where I get to legislate and make decisions, every decision that I make, people's lives are affected by. And to make sure that we look at every single option that we have before us and make the best decision possible before proceeding. And also educate my my, um, colleagues on what it is that they might not see. And, and that's where I can provide some insight into certain situations. I'd like to say, too, that I have a great relationship with the police officers. I go out of my way. If I see them at a restaurant, I'll go over to their table. I'll introduce myself. I'll say hi. And I will say thank you. And we really need more of that in the community as a whole because officers are in a situation all across the country where they the morale is definitely down. And a simple thank you could mean the world to them. It could keep them going. And they are definitely appreciated for it. Austin did something unique. And um, it was incorrectly reported that the city manager, or you can correct me, uh, you can set the record straight. But in one report, I read the Austin city manager, Spencer Kronk, um, shut down the Austin Police Academy for a year to rewrite the curriculum. I read in another account that actually you all city council ordered that, that it be shut down for a year to rewrite the count, the curriculum either way. What was the goal there? What was the goal of doing that? So there were allegations that came out of the Academy that said that there were components um, surrounding racism and mm-hmm. other things that I don't even want to talk about because they're so bad. Um, And so the council, before I was elected, decided to stop three cadet academies from from starting, which with our attrition as it is, we're in a really bad spot when it comes to training and getting cadets in there and their boots on the ground after they get out of field training. So we do have right now our first academy going. It's scheduled to complete early next year. And throughout the process, the reimagined public safety task force has been reviewing the curriculum and making recommendations for changes. That said, we don't have any other cadet academies approved by council currently. Next year's budget, we were able to get two full academies approved. And I brought forth a budget rider that included direction to the city manager to have a third modified cadet academy. What a modified cadet academy does is it takes law enforcement with previous law enforcement officers with experience and then gets them through the process half as fast. And so it it really cuts out half the training that officers need for a full cadet academy class. And with the attrition rates, we really need boots on the ground as quickly as possible. How many officers does Austin currently have? And what is the golden number for city size? I know right now that we're authorized for a little over 1900 officers. And right now we're about 200 short. So that's not great. There are different, um, there are different models, staffing models that have come forward. We have the Kroll report. We have other reports of other different names in the city that over the years have shown that we need anywhere from two per 1000 residents, two officers per 1000 residents to, to less than that. The Greater Austin Crime Commission just did a report that showed that we needed less officers than we currently have now. But that doesn't account for 
specialized units. That's only patrol. So right now we don't have a motorcycle unit. We don't have a DWI unit. We don't have so many units that we need. Um, the, the crime task force for um, gang intervention, that sort of thing. We need those units to help us be a safer city. And our murder rate right now is 93% up year over year. And that's that's ridiculous for a city this size. Um, I, I've never seen anything like it in my life. I, the last number I saw was 88 homicides so far this year. Uh, the last time you had a number even remotely high was in 1984 when the number was 59. And that's just from a report I pulled. Um, of all the calls to 911, it says only 1% involve violent crime. Um, 80% of law enforcement is doing social work, social work related work. These are arguments on the flip side that, you know, your Austin's fine with the least amount of officers as possible. But you look at these homicide rates, you talk to one victim of crime and you realize that a thriving city, the first line of defense for a thriving city is safety and security. Uh, yes, it would be wonderful if we could throw a great deal of law enforcement work into the hands of social workers and other nonprofit entities. I think that's actually a tremendous value. Crime Stoppers of Houston, for example, we take some of the investigative work off of the hands of law enforcement, but we've got to have some common sense with the balance because cities cannot thrive where people don't feel safe to shop or, or walk or go to a, a retailer. You have all these smash and grabs across you know, the country now because We've we've made a lot of uh, we've mitigated violent crime and thrown them into a class of misdemeanors when they shouldn't be. And where is it going? And how do you how do you want people to get involved? And what is your call to action for people in Austin and across the country? Well, I don't think enough people are involved in in the local government process, and I yeah. still think that they realize how important it is to communicate with your elected official. As an elected official, I don't know what I don't know. And I encourage people all the time to email me or call my office because we're in a nonpartisan role here at the city, even though we do have our own partisan type leanings. But at the end of the day, I know that I have to represent the community as a whole. And the only way I can do that is to get good feedback on how people feel about how issues are going to affect them. And so I encourage you to get involved by going to meetings, whether it's a county commissioner's court meeting or a city council meeting, all of the information is available online as to what they're going to talk about each meeting they have and go speak about something. That's how I got started. I, I came to a couple city council meetings. I spoke about what was important to me. And then I realized that my council member didn't care to listen. And mm -hmm. it's really important that in order for change to happen, you speak your mind and you give your opinion in a respectful way. Moving forward here in Austin, We've got to have those cadet classes approved. Otherwise, we're not going to have any police here in Austin. And that is a dangerous place to be. Our mayor actually said a few months ago on the news that he hoped that one day we could live in a place where there is no police. And I just don't see that as being possible. We're always going to have the, the people who do bad things that are going to hurt other people or even steal from businesses that need to have some punishment behind their actions. And the only way we can do that is if we have a well-trained and well-staffed police force that's going to protect our community. 
And and those comments by the current mayor, and, and again, I one of the words you just said was respect. I do believe that res- elected officials have to be treated with the utmost respect because we appreciate everyone who serves. You you give up so much of your personal lives for in exchange to be boots on the ground, on call, and of service to those of us in, in the city or county, d- the district you represent. So I don't mean to speak negatively of the mayor there or of any mayor or any elected official, but it bothers me when elected officials say things like that. You know, I, I, we, sh- we need to reimagine police and it's careless and they're not thinking about the ramifications of what they're saying. Or we hope for a day when there's no law enforcement, when they're actually, that's one thing to say, yes, I, I hope everybody is safe forever. Okay, great. But if I'm saying it and in a position to actually cut law enforcement and shrink law enforcement and literally shrink the size of the department that I'm I'm overseeing, those words become very dangerous. I also, I am certain that the local mayor has his own security and he should, I want them to, but it's, it's so obvious that they don't want their own personal lives to be in jeopardy, but they're, they're not making the connection that the comments and the policies are affecting the safety and the public lives of those that they serve. And that's, that's, I guess, always been a source of frustration for me and for a lot of other citizens who who are paying attention and are plugged in and are listening and thinking, you know, how can you say this when you yourself are taking your own personal safety so seriously? Yeah, it definitely has a hypocritical um, element to it and it bothers me to my core. Um, you know, I've, I've talked to the mayor's security before. They're, they're great people and I'm glad that he has that available. But the, the fact of the matter is we have people in our community who don't have that option available to them. And he absolutely should. And I'm not denying that either. It's just that we have a police department in our community to protect the people that live here. And when we don't have officers or our, our response times are increased, our hotshot calls are now over 10 minutes to get to, that's a problem. And it needs to be corrected in a way that the people who are paying the taxes in our community, which go towards these services, feel and see and understand that they are getting the best services that they are paying for. Well, we're proud of the work that everybody does. All of you who serve, we're so thankful. Whether we agree or disagree, the conversations are so important. Um, I was sitting with an elected official not too long ago, and we were simply talking about how extreme the politics has become. And he said to me, but this is what, what the citizens voted for. You want extreme candidates who hold on to their extreme notions and don't work together, or that's what had been happening for a few years, but we're starting to see that turnaround. People want moderate thinking, common sense. Uh, we don't want to you know, fall on the sword for, for ideologies that are just ideologies. We want to actually do what we need to do to protect each other and build wonderful communities. And that includes for those who, whose primary focus is the defendant and the um, experience of the defendant or, or you know, the criminals in a, in a weird way, it's strange to say, we, we think of them too. And we want, we're in the schools. We want to make sure kids don't choose a life of crime. We're in communities, every, every nook and cranny of the neighborhood, you know, we're there making sure people are public safety minded and don't choose a life of crime. We work with other nonprofits that are providing services, whether it be jobs, healthcare, housing, education, job, as I said, job opportunity, food. We don't want anyone to feel that there's no other option 
but to commit a life of crime. And so before we close out, I do want to thank you so much. Uh, how did you and I meet? You became very connected to Crime Stoppers of Austin. And I've been doing a lot uh, to make sure that that organization is, is not just up, but up and thriving. So we want to thank you, Councilmember Kelly, for your, for your work there and for working with us as, as we worked with Austin as well. Well, absolutely. And thank you for stepping in to help them. They were going through a little bit of a rough patch with some changes, but with your assistance, we've really been able to get it back up off the ground so that it can be a successful program. And just so you know, I think it was, we had over seven crimes last month alone solved because of Crime Stoppers here in Austin. And so that's just incredible. And we need more people to know about that. That is music to my ears. That makes me so happy. Communities can work together, civilians with law enforcement, civilians with elected officials. We can provide a wonderful service. Um, as I said, a holistic approach, which really is what Crime Stoppers is so good at doing. And uh, thank you again. Thank you for being a guest on the Balanced Voice podcast. It's just been a, a pleasure having this conversation. Thanks so much. Catch you next time. Thank you, everybody, for being with us. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to today's Balanced Conversation. You can find real solutions and tangible resources in our show notes at thebalancevoicepodcast.com. To join the conversation, follow us on Instagram at thebalancevoicepodcast and on Twitter at balancevoice underscore. Stay up to date on Renya's work by following her at The Renya Report. And we can't wait to see you next week for another Balanced Conversation.